Welcome to Divine Messy Human. I'm your host, Amanda Kate. This podcast is for the messily human, the ones who are trying their best and making mistakes. It is for those who want to embrace their messiness and learn to love it, realizing life gives us all lessons we need to learn. This is a space with no judgment, one where it is safe to show up as your whole authentic self and explore your mind, body, and soul. A word of warning, I can be a spiritual sailor, so if salty language offends, just cover your ears on occasion. I hope you enjoy this episode. This episode comes with a language warning. We also talk about all things sex, sexuality, and sensuality, and we refer at times to sexual abuse. So if any of this information is triggering or activating for you, or if it brings up your own trauma, please skip this one. Join us next time, and if you need to, please reach out to a professional for some help. Hello and welcome back to Divine Messy Human. Today I have a very exciting guest, somebody I connected with a couple of years ago and I've been wanting to get to know better. So super excited to introduce you to Susan Jarvis, who is called herself the Maven. How are you today? Good, Amanda. Thank you so much. And it's so lovely to be back in your energy. We had our own chat um, just last week on the Maven's Private Diaries and uh, I'm still getting over um, the opening the episode, the language, <laughs> but we won't go back there. But I love it. But maybe I could open this with a clitoris. Uh, perfect. Okay? Perfect. Get your bingo cards ready because we'll no doubt go through all the sexy words Yes, absolutely. Look, I've been so excited about this because I think um, for so much of my life, certainly my sexuality, sensuality has been either repressed or it has been exploited. And so I just love the work that you're bringing into it because since starting my own personal and professional development journey and my spiritual development journey, I've been able to reconnect with my sexuality and sensuality in a much healthier way. And so this is part of the reason I really wanted to have you on because I think it's such an important conversation and one that often gets, you know, sidelined or hidden away. And I, I think we need to bring it more public. So explain to me or and the audience, of course, firstly, why the Maven? And secondly, why do you do what you do? Okay. Well, I'll start with when I was a child, I thought about being either a marine biologist or a zookeeper. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Never in my wildest dreams, even through my young adult years, did I ever think that I would become the madam of a sex shop. So um, I still pinch myself how I came to this place, but I guess it's a reflection of my own personal journey and that reconnection to self and having a healthier attitude towards and about sex and my sexuality mm. so um the maven is a word that for a, you call a person who's got wisdom that they're willing to share okay so we all carry a degree of wisdom mm. but not everyone's prepared to talk about it because sometimes yeah. it's the hard stuff you know yeah. as sandy laris from women beyond 40 magazine says women have such hard-won wisdom and, and my wisdom has been hard won. I've had the dishonest sex. I've had the performative sex. I've had the maintenance sex. I've had, thankfully, I've not experienced um, sexual violence, sexual abuse. 
Mm. I have been in situations where I felt pressured to have sex yeah, or I had sex just to keep the peace, mm. just to shut someone up or to get out of an environment that I was yeah. in. My yeah. life isn't like that anymore, thank God. I, I own my sexuality and we all do own our sexuality. And I think a realisation came to me, I, I can't pinpoint when, but I've certainly been on a journey for the last 17 years post-divorce yeah. where um, I wanted to take control and own my sexuality. And what that meant for me, Amanda, was going on a bit of a journey of exploration, yeah. okay, and making a commitment not to be lying on my deathbed regretting that I didn't have that experience kissing a woman or having sex with a woman. Yeah. Or that I didn't, you know, go to a sex party, mm. you know, bring a plate. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, I'm not a playboy model. I'm an ordinary looking woman living her extraordinary self. And we've all got that ability inside of us. You don't have to, you know, strut down the street in 12 inch heels with your um, boobs hanging out and your skirt up not that that's a bad look I look at women think go you but you don't have to live that stereotyped image of being a hot-blooded woman and I'm incredibly hot-blooded I love it and I think it's beautiful that you've come to a a journey and I'm guessing it was a journey to get Mm -hmm. there and I know that word gets thrown around a little bit much but there's no other word for it. You've traveled a hell of a path, mm-hmm. I'm guessing, from that moment of divorce through the 17 years to get you to a place where you are now. Yep. Can you tell me a little bit more about, I guess, how you, did you go in? Did you, you know, look outside yourself? What was your sort of process? And I know it's never linear, but some of the steps along your process that mm-hmm. you found really transformed your ideas about yourself, your ideas about sex, your ideas about connection to others? Mm-hmm. Well, I started with a plan. I've always been a very pragmatic person and a logical thinker. Yeah. Um, my lateral- I love the idea of you having a spreadsheet, by the way. I don't know why that just well, came into my head and I love that idea. <laughs> Tick, clipboard. <laughs> there is a t- TV show, I haven't watched all of it, called The Spreadsheet. And it's about a woman who's on a sexual journey and she's got a list of men that she's working her way through. I must get back and, and finish watching that. No, I didn't actually start with a spreadsheet. I, I would recommend anybody, woman, man, whoever, journaling for me has been a source of power and discovery, okay? And treat yourself to a beautiful book. So I went out and bought myself a beautiful, I think it was... um not paperback, paper note or paper something, mm-hmm. and it was magnetised and had a beautiful red and gold oriental cover. And I've always liked to write with a beautiful instrument such as a fountain pen. So treat yourself to some gorgeous writing materials. And I really sat down and thought about what is it about my life that I wanted to change? Mm-hmm. And for me at that time, sex was at the very bottom of the list. I, in my marriage, I'd been celibate for the last three years. I had given up everything, given up on everything that I enjoyed. And as a result, my health had spiraled out of control. I was weighing up to 165 kilos Mm -hmm. at that time. 
And little did I know, I was also living with anxiety and depression. So uh, all undiagnosed. So I was very fortunate that a girlfriend reached out to me and shared that she was worried that I was going to die a very early death because of my unhappiness. So that was what I call my champagne moment where just everything crystallized. And, you know, I had a child in that marriage and a mortgage, but I did come to a point where I realized that the only thing that was keeping us together was the mortgage. I was very much a single parent in that relationship. And he was a good dad, but not a hands-on dad, not involved and so forth. So um, when I make, made that decision to end the marriage, I obviously you go through that painful process of telling the people you love. Yeah. And I did love him. He was a big part of my life. And that I knew I just needed a plan to move forward because where would you start? Yeah. Where, what, what would I pick? And for me, it was my intellect that was craving for adjustment. So, um, and actually, it's funny how the universe aligned. So in that 12 months post-divorce or post-separation, my father was diagnosed with terminal lung cancer and I went home for the last six to eight weeks of his life and helped our family. We nursed him at home. Mm-hmm. So dad died in end of December mm-hmm. 2005. Then when I went back and I was living in North Queensland with no family up there, I was made redundant from my job of 21 years, which for me was like, hallelujah, thank you. I'll take the money and run. So that put me through university full-time for 18 months. And that for me was a big growth journey because you know, I, my brain had been starving for knowledge. It was also a period of personal awakening, learning about it really taught me how to examine my values. You know, I grew up white Australian in the 70s. There was no education around the true Australian history and the black history. Mm. So it was a real moment where I started to discover who Susan really was <clears throat> and what was important to me. And so during that time, I did my intellectual cravings, I fed them socially. I was getting that at uni, you know, starting to go out, not partying, just connecting with other women and, and being social, getting involved, going out to see live bands and movies, which I'd let go of, theatre, which I'd loved. And then eventually I met this beautiful big bogan who was just going to be my six-week lover. And we ended up being together for seven years. Oh, so, wow. And I was very fortunate to have that experience with him, you know, we're on different pathways, very different pathways. But during that time, that's where I had a safe harbour to explore who I was sexually. I got to tick off so many bucket list items with him and with others. Mm. So living in an open relationship and experiencing a degree of polyamory Mm. was something I'd always been curious about. Mm. And that curiosity is still there. I'm in a monogamous relationship but I choose to be monogamous because that's how my partner is. And that, that's okay. I'm, I'm satisfied mm-hmm. there, but I know that I've got the ability to love others. There's, there's no restriction in my heart or my brain to share that love. So, um, so yes, a plan wow. and that plan has evolved, evolved. And, 
And the journey to the business started back in 2017 when a girlfriend said to me, oh, I know there's a business for sale. It's a party plan business. You'd be really good at it because you've always been comfortable talking about sex. And when I looked at the branding, it was just very tacky. And I just Mm. knew, I thought, oh, I could do something so much better. And almost straight away, Amanda, the spicy boudoir just kept ping, ping, ping. It was, look, I had to like, all right. I looked up the business name, looked up the domain. Everything was available. All the social handles were available. And I just knew that there was, the universe was telling me, this is your next journey. And um, so during that time, I was working full time in the public service Mm -hmm. by day and then by night, building a business around sex, sexuality and pleasure. And it's morphing now, like I'm morphing into becoming a speaker and an author, podcast guest and host. Yeah. And, And there's a book in the works too. Oh, that sounds amazing. So much wisdom to share. I think it's incredible. There were so many things that I want to ask you questions on in that journey. The first one that I I made a note of was about that performative sex. Mm. And a lot of those feelings of obligation or how it should be, how it should look. Can you speak a little bit to that? Because I think all of us, men and women, and people who identify as any gender, I think have these ideas and ideals that we're all trying to live up to, emulate, be. Talk to me a little bit more about that and then how we can potentially put some things in place to move away from that idea of sex. At first I thought you were going to ask me to demonstrate my fake orgasm. Oh, you can do that first. You when Harry met Sally moment, go. <laughs> uh, I'm actually out of practice because I have not faked an orgasm now for shit. Oh, gosh. Well, I was celibate for three years in my marriage. So, and with my lover, my beautiful Bogan, uh, that was a real test for me, that actual first night that we were together mm. because I had a history of never achieving an orgasm. Or exp- I don't like the word achieving. I've got to stop using that. Yeah. Experiencing. Yes an orgasm with another partner okay Mm. first night I was with my beautiful bogan you know I'd been celibate for four years and oh we 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 basically had sex all night Mm. I think I had about three or four orgasms oh amazing which you know I was pretty chaffed because that's not normally how my body would work I really need a a degree of emotional security and safety to allow my body to really embrace it because let's face it for women yes our clitoris is the the organic function where our orgasm um not so much occurs but it's the, the biological part mm. but our orgasms live here in our head mm. okay and and i've identified i've actually had a room in my head And there's like stages during sex that unlock. I can feel it unlocking where I get to the point where I know I'm in that orgasmic energy and it's there if I want it. Yeah. I don't ever say no. (laughs) (laughs) Why would you say no to to arousal? There's something incredibly exquisitely erotic denying yourself and being in that state of heightened arousal where your clitoris is just buzzing and and you know 
engorged and don't touch it just yeah just enjoy the moment sort of thing so the performance as I said there was a lot of maintenance sex during my marriage where I would consent to having sex because I knew it would stop him getting the shits with me and being in a in a grump there was never our sexual relationship was not one of mutual regard and pleasuring Mm -hmm. and um, my husband was eight years older than I was and just that different generation different really on the cusp like he was a Neil Diamond music whereas I was everything everything except for country <laughs> so um yeah Neil Diamond and Krista Berg <laughs> <laughs> isn't it funny that that automatically gives a picture of what you were dealing with <laughs> yes and here I was um a late bloomer to Pink Floyd, but I was like Midnight Oil, Style Council, Prince. You know, I loved all the triple, I listened to Triple J as much as I could. So, yeah, we were very, very different generations. Um, so the performative sex back then, I'm glad I don't live in that space anymore because it can be taxing. Oh, it's exhausting. I was in exactly the same place with the maintenance sex, the performative stuff, the... Oh, let's just get over with the lie back, think of England type, (laughs) you know, let's get this over and done with. So you stop you complaining. And there were times that it was non-consensual for me, um, which I didn't realize until (laughs) I had, I had a bit of a flashback during a healing session and I was like, oh my God. And it kind of clicked into place what had happened, but there was all of that sort of stuff pretty much, you know, summed up. Mm. our time together as well so I really really understand it and I think that's why I think it's so important to talk about the performative the maintenance the the expectation that it will be handed over rather than drawn out Mm. and that drawing and elicited starts in the kitchen yeah it starts in the morning when you first wake up Mm. and have a, a snuggle together yeah, like I, I talk to a lot of people about, you know, oh, there's no sex in my relationship and and I'm sad to hear that because I believe being sexual with your partner, it's the highest form of honouring and love that you can give. Yeah. And um, like, for instance, my partner and I, we take turns to pleasure each other. Sometimes it's all about me. Sometimes it's all about him. We schedule time to be sexual. We mm. both do struggle with our headspace. Uh, he, he works an incredibly data-heavy job. So I know when he walks through that door, his dick is not thinking about having sex. No. <laughs> and, and I'm in the mood and I, and I want him. You know, so, you know, it's, it goes both ways. So there are times when I've approached him and he said, I'm not really in the mood. That's fine. You just have to don't take it as rejection. But yeah. but if it starts to happen frequently, it, it's time for as couples in a relationship to acknowledge that and talk about it and get help. Like you know, I'm forever saying to people, asking, have you have you talked to anybody? Have you been to see anybody? No, we haven't. Why not? You would go to your doctor mm. to have your blood pressure checked. You know, if if your bowels weren't working, you'd go. 
your sexual relationship as part of your communication mm. in a couple environment. So yeah. there's so many people out there who can help. Mm. And I think that's a really important thing to, to bring into self is we are designed for desire and pleasure and connection with others in an intimate way. And I think it's really interesting what you say there that we don't go and get help for it. I think there's, there's a whole history there of why we don't necessarily go and get help for it. But if we're not feeling some form of turn on pleasure, excitement, sexually and sensually in our life, at least, you know, regularly, then we do need to think about what's happening in our body. Is it, is it too high a stress? Is it that we've got, you know, too many things going on? Is it that we're not prioritizing it? Is it that our hormones are out of whack mm. or there's something physically wrong? That's right. Is it mental health issues? Is it, you know, I think we've got to start broadening the conversation because with the, with the work I do, it's about having the body, mind, spirit, emotions all together yes. in there. And if we're denying that bodily, fleshy, base chakra experience of connection and touch, we're denying ourselves a huge part of who we are. And so that's what I really, really love about that. And I think it's wonderful that you're, you know, saying about taking that performative aspect off. I think so much of our life has become performative mm. with social media and with within relationship and with sex and with what we're told we should be and how we should mm. act in those moments that I think stripping it back and, and calling it what it is. And I love that you've got so many of those different words to describe the different encounters, the performative, the maintenance, the expectation, the because certainly for me, I don't think I'd put so many descriptors around it before, but every time you said one, when you listed them out earlier, I was like, oh my God, yes, yep, tick, tick, tick. You know, I've got my spreadsheet out now going, oh, I think I've got a full card there. <laughs> The next thing that I, I think was really interesting in what you were saying earlier was that question, what is it about my life that I want to change? Mm. A question that I often ask clients is, are you living the type of life you would want for your children? Mm -hmm. Very similar, I guess, sorts of things that those questions bring up because I don't think people often think about it. Mm. So for you, when you asked, what is it about my life that I want to change? What were some of the big signs that I guess led you into exploring that sexuality? I know you, you, you sort of touched on it a bit, but going into it a little bit deeper, how did you realize that that was one of the keys that you needed to access? That's a really interesting question. And no one's asked me that before. I've just been thinking as you put it out there, I look, I'm still shedding my self-image that or how I perceive myself okay and one of the things that used to really really float my boat during my journey like and I'll just this is this was my bucket list that I went through okay yeah. I wanted to experience anal sex I'd never had it okay it was fucking fabulous but um I reached a point where oh that's enough now <laughs> didn't do it a lot but it, it really is our anus is designed for pleasure as well mm. so um so I did that 
And you can see me on SBS Insight talking about this. If you look at uh, sexual midlife sexual awakenings, they picked a, a sound grab where I go, I've done anal. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. So there you go. 57 this year. I've done anal. <laughs> um, put that on my head tombstone. I wanted to experience a threesome with two men. Did that. I was dating online and had lovers, did that. I had a foursome with my beautiful Bogan and another couple. That was great. They were such lovely people. What an experience. Just, oh, I just felt so safe and it was glorious. It was like, oh, it's like we, we were the two goddesses and they were our, not servants, just our, our kings, basically. So it was just such a lovely event. I went to a sex party. I went to an adult club. And I wanted to explore what I call at that time my untested bisexuality. Mm -hmm. I'd always found myself attracted to women, particularly breasts. And um, I met this woman. Who, she didn't live locally. She was visiting family and friends. And we met online and we met for coffee, got on really well. And she came to my place we had such a lovely evening together, really nice. And we we're talking about where we grew up. <clears throat> and she said, I went to such and such a high school. I went, oh, I was friends with the school captain, blah, blah, blah. Oh, how did you meet him? <laughs> I said, I went to a, a camp in year 12 to Yapoon <clears throat> for Interact, which was part of Rotary. And she said, oh, I was at that same camp. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, how funny. She would have been one of the girls that hung around with him. And he he, he was open, you know, very gay and, but, you know, I was his, not, not his girlfriend, but just a really good friend. So what a small world. Oh, how funny. What a small world. In all those experiences, what I've been unpacking and unraveling is this image of this country bumpkin girl from a small regional town who would never amount to anything who grew up thinking that she was always fat and lazy and, and low self-worth and low self-esteem, but had a spark in her, always had a spark. Like I was a curious little shit when I was a kid. I loved science. I had a bug catcher. I had a chemistry set with a scalpel. And I'm sorry, mum. Yes, I was the one who cut the armchair. I'll never... <laughs> Why, why give a 10-year-old a scalpel? I'm like, oh, unless you want him to carve initials into oh, things. How sharp is this? And I dragged yeah. it across the armchair and the, it was the brown vinyl in the 70s and it just went, bleh, just all the foam popped out. So, so all this time I have been unpacking Susan Jarvis, country girl, who's now stepping into her power. And so in each of those moments, I, I would just be roaring with laughter, with absolute delight. Look at me. Look what I've done. You know, look, when I was in North Queensland, one of my lovers was a surgeon. Not, not that I think that's a scorecard, but we were having the most incredible, fantastic sex and meeting on the same intellectual level. I would not have imagined myself 15, 20 years ago to be a person capable of having a relationship like that. So, because I did, I used to put myself down subconsciously. Yeah. 
so now I'm roaring. I'm out there. I want other women who are hiding their light under their bushel to realize that's the worst thing that you can do for yourself. I think metaphorically, we all kind of need to take our scalpels to our vinyl couches, don't we? <laughs> and just give it a slit and let all of that stuff that we've been holding in come out. Oh, yes. yes. <laughs> you have mentioned this a couple of times, and I really, really want to touch on this because this is a big issue that I see in my clients. And it's a massive issue I have had in my own life. You mentioned about needing that safe harbour and that safety. Mm. So obviously we know that when we are having sex or in that sensual exchange of pleasure, it is one of the most vulnerable places that we can be. Talk to the importance of safety. In that moment. Mm. And in the lead up, I think what allows you to go and I guess experiment with I'm guessing there's got to be a fair bit of work between leaving your marriage where Mm. you'd been celibate to being able to open to those experiences and feel safe enough in Mm. yourself, in your body, in your life experience Mm. to know that you can be that vulnerable in the company of Mm. others. Okay. Well, look, I'll just talk first about a couple of logistics. Mm. If you put yourself on this type of journey and you're dating online, either as a single woman or you're moving outside of a relationship, there's a few things that you need to do to protect yourself, your identity. Now, I used a, um, I created a separate email account that was not connected in any way, shape or form with my identity. So it wasn't linked to my Facebook or Instagram or anything like that, because all of those software apps are all incestuous yes and all talk to each other and you know one day I remember getting because I had this guy's phone number he started to pop up on my LinkedIn as someone that I might know I was like okay Mm. radio so um so yes be very mindful of that I was fortunate in that I had my beautiful Bergen was my backup I was able to debrief with him about my experiences. I always spent a lot of time talking and getting to know who it was I was going to see. And he always knew where I was. And I told them, you need to understand there's a six foot two person who knows where I am. They're not far away, blah, 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 blah. Mm. So having those safety mechanisms. For my, um, I don't want to say mental health, but I guess... I always knew that what I was going to experience was a new challenge or a new boundary for me. And I've been practicing um, self-reflection for quite some time. I realize I've been doing it since I was a teenager. And uh, so to really, you know, I would look at how, how did I interact with that person? How did they interact with me? How did I feel like my gut feeling? I always listen to my gut. And the more that you trust, more you listen to your gut, the better your gut feelings become because you're tuning your bullshit radar. (laughs) So listen to your gut. One of my must-dos was I always spoke to them over the phone first because I could tell by their voice what their character is. And I know that might sound 
little bit out there, but my whole working life has been listening to people's voices. And I was fortunate to do three years working in the criminal court sector, transcribing court. Now, when you've only got someone's voice, you can tell when someone's lying. You know, you can just hear it. You can hear the depth of their character in the way they speak and the way that they, the, the words that they choose, how they pause and, and, and talk, they talk quickly and things like that. So hearing somebody's voice was incredibly important to me. And that was my first screening device, I guess. So I approach things, go with the flow, but always having, I guess, a system of identifying red flags. And then thankfully had the privilege of going home and talking to my beautiful Bogan about the experience. So, and you know, and that's not everyone has that. So if you are going on a journey, engage with a coach that you can go back and debrief and talk about because mm. you are going to discover a lot about yourself. You might need somebody to help you unpack it. Mm. Okay. So not everyone can identify, oh, what was that feeling I was getting? You know, so talking to someone and pulling it out and teasing out those thoughts and feelings can really help you discover what that learning lesson is for you. It's interesting what you say about the voice and the listening aspect. That's your clear audience. So when we talk about your psychic abilities, it comes through the clear cognizance, which is the clear knowing, the mm. clairvoyance, which is clear seeing, clear audience is clear hearing, clear sentience, clear feeling. And then we have clear gustance and clear salience, which is taste and smell. And so that really is you bringing in that psychic ability of yours through that clear audience, being able to tune into the energy and all of those other bits, as you say, just through that voice. So again, a really beautiful use of intuition there mm. and also marrying the practicality of a 3D world with, you know, what you're wanting to experience. Mm. Um, and I think that's sometimes where we let ourselves down is we make these, you know, big plans for our life and, kind of gets into a bit of wishful thinking without the planning or you know we really need to blend the two together and I mm. think that's what you're discussing really really beautifully there how do you think that all of this experience both I guess lived wisdom and learned the things that you've more formally learned how mm. do you think the two of those really meld together to give you this unique expression of who you are in the world and therefore how your business is in the world gosh I have to think about that one um I know that look I've never been look I'm a shy person okay funnily enough there's shyness in me I identify as being a gregarious hermit okay <laughs> so I do like my own company and and I need my own company it's part of staying well balanced um, and I need nature as part of my healing and reconnection. So because I've had to, you know, I've had to speak up in situations, both in the bedroom, um, professionally, and with my family and with friends, it's occurred to me, you know, that once you can ask for what you want in the bedroom, you can ask for anything in life. Because 
you know, a lot of people are fearful of speaking up during a sexual experience, whether it be stop, I don't like what you're doing, or no, I don't want to continue, or I like what you're doing, but it would be better if you did this. Not, not that I would use that language. Mm. You know, probably in my in the beginning, I would have said that. Um, but now I, I have no qualms about speaking up and, and asking and checking in with my lover. Is there anything I can do to make this feel better for you? Or what would you like me to do? We went to a Kink 101 workshop a couple of years ago before COVID. And I was quite, oh, not nervous, a little bit anxious about going. So I'm like, oh, I didn't know who was going to be there, what type of people. Well, it was all just ordinary mums and dads. It was great. And yes, we did learn a bit of rope tying, but ultimately the whole message throughout the whole day was about communication and checking in with your partner or partners at that time. And I think that's a skill that we all need to learn. We'd all be much, much better lovers if we had the courage and the know-how to, to talk to each other during sex about the moment. So, yeah. so that would be my advice. And again, urging people, get help, engage with a coach. Whether you do it on your own or with preferably as a couple, just always, you know, you've got to fine-tune your skills. Just like yeah. you develop your skills for the workplace. We need our relationship skills overhauled and refreshed all the time. Did you ever have any, because I know this is a big part of the work I do is around the shame that people feel. Mm. Did you have to work through some of that to be able to really put yourself out there as the maven who runs the spicy boudoir when you've got a child and friends and partners and parents? and? <laughs> I had to ask the question. Yes, most definitely. How did you navigate it and how did you get the help to overcome that? Okay, well, when I had the idea for the business and I'm like, oh, how can I do this? One, being this country girl and this, you know, little little drop in the ocean, in a very big ocean. Secondly, how am I going to tell my mum? And um, when I was doing my research for the business, I came across this fantastic woman in America her name is Joan Price and Joan is, um, she'll be 80 this year. Since she was in her mid-50s, she has been writing and speaking about ageless sexuality. And when I discovered her five or six years ago, I was like, wow, here's this older woman. If she can be doing this, so can I. And we've actually become quite good friends and I'm, she's been on my podcast a couple of times and just to share some good news, she's coming to Australia later in the year. So yes. I get to meet her and I'm organising an event for Brisbane at the moment and hopefully if I can work things out, I'll bring one to Melbourne as well, but she's going to be like the keynote speaker. So really super excited. So for me, Joan was my permission to go ahead and then at the time where I was working in public service, I was in the health service in palliative care and no one, I hadn't talked to anybody in my team about what I was embarking on because, you know, there's, I didn't want to get into trouble for a start for having a side hustle. And then someone said to me, look, everyone has side hustles these days. Don't, don't worry about it. Anyway, I had quite a good relationship with the senior consultant of the team 
because we were the same age and we just, I don't know, we'd, we'd connected fairly well. And uh, I said to him one day, I said, I've got something to tell you. He goes, oh, Susan, what, what are you doing? What, what are you up to now? And I told him, I said, I'm building a business that's addressing sexuality for older people and people living with disability. And he just roared, that's fantastic. There needs to be more of this. And we ended up having a really good chat. And that conversation with him, I, I rang my mum that afternoon and said, oh, just ringing to tell you, I had this conversation today. This is what I'm going to be doing. And, and my mum's a pretty, I would describe her as being uptight and just conservative. And you know, we have an interesting, conflicting relationship my whole life, particularly since the scalpel incident, <laughs> which was one of many. <laughs> anyway, she said to me, well, you know, you're an adult, you can do what you want. And I said, thanks, mum. I just wanted to not check in for your permission, but I just wanted you to know because one day you're going to see me probably on television or in a magazine. And, and since then I have been in That's Life and Take Five and New Idea and SBS. So, you know, you can find me on Mamma Mia. I talk openly about my experiences. So far, so good. Uh, and I love that, that you weren't going there to ask for permission, but there was the respect in, I just want you to know. And so often, I think when we go into a lot of those conversations, it comes out as though we are asking for that mm. permission. So I think that's really, really powerful. And mm. I just wanted to highlight that for people of so often we go into permission asking rather than just telling with love yes and respect yeah. that this is what's going on interestingly on the other side of the coin with my mm. partner's mother i misjudged my relationship with this person mm. we'd had not in-depth conversations but she'd shared with me that on a recent cruise she had a fling mm. and she was amazed that at 72 that one somebody desired her and that she was still up to have sex. And I was like, over the moon for her. She also has had over the years a regular friends with benefits relationship with a neighbor. And I'm like, go you. And I thought that was fabulous. And then the day that we both sat down, my partner and I, with his mum and said, this is what I'm starting. Oh my God. Oh, that's terrible. Oh, that's terrible. Oh. She just went into this freaking out. And I think, see, a lot of people from that generation think a sex shop is sleazy mm. and dark and dingy. Not the spicy boudoir. The spicy boudoir is all about good taste and about sex positivity. Mm. Eventually, I want to have a retail space that women will flock to because they feel safe there mm. and respected and not walk in and be assailed by genitalia plastic genitalia or reduced to i don't know if you've seen these but you know there's devices out there for men it's just the rear end or it's a torso with breasts and genitals no face no arms no legs we're yeah. not defined by our tits and our fannies we don't speak to each other anymore because there was an episode where i challenged her behavior one day where she, she slammed the door well we were all on holiday and she slammed the door and when i challenged her she didn't appreciate that, mm, yeah. but that's okay. She saw me on SBS Insight and was very like, ooh, ooh to my partner. I'm like, 
Well, interesting that you watch that program because they're all about talking about the taboos and the difficult conversations. So, yes, I was there. <laughs> Isn't it interesting the projection of the internal judgment in that because yeah. that's a that's a definite sign of I'm okay doing this myself behind closed doors or whatever but then there's the going out with it mm. and potentially there's you know obviously blocks there yeah, very <laughs> blocked. Oh, but that, that's her issue I've made a decision there to not invite that energy into my life anymore mm. that if she reaches a point where she needs help with her health we're all there yeah. to help but I don't have to accept her opinions anymore. I think it is really important, the work that you're doing, especially with, you know, the older generation and disabled people where, or, or is that the right terminology these days? I, no, I think, I think it depends on the disability. people with a disability. Apologies. That's why I wanted to double check. I don't want to offend. So yes, I, yes, people with a disability. I think it is so important because everybody deserves pleasure. Mm -hmm. And so often we shut those parts of us down because it's too hard or there's the judgment or the fear or whatever else. And it's certainly something post-divorce that I've enjoyed getting back in touch with. Mm. And I know when I'm overworked or too stressed or whatever, because it's the first thing that goes mm -hmm. and I need to start going, oh, hang on a minute. How do I reconnect to that part of me? What do I need to do? Is it just coming from me? Is it coming from my partner? What can I do in this situation to improve on that? Because it's also so tied to our creativity. Oh, definitely. I've had two realisations. One, that my sexual energy does drive my creativity and that when I am true to myself and invest time in my creativity, every cell in my body fires up it lights up okay and my creativity is up here and and thinking and ideas I know we can all draw we can all paint my work's crap <laughs> whereas my mum and my brother and I think my sister's daughters they've all got that artistic gene I used to think for many many years I wasn't creative but no hang on a minute I am creative I think up jokes, I write, I've got stories in my head that just are bursting to come out and go into a book. I think there is such a limit when people think about creativity. They think it has to be dancing or singing or mm. acting or it has to be the more traditional forms, painting, <clears throat> drawing. But creativity, if you've ever solved a problem, you're creative. Exactly ever yes. because we have to think outside the box to be able to solve a problem yes. and even I don't know learning how to tie your shoelace you had to be a problem solver there had to be a, an ounce of creativity there even if you're following instructions mm. and I think you know I look at my girlfriend who her creativity comes out in the kitchen her creativity comes out in making people around her feel loved and warm and invited in mm. and when you think about that as creativity, a lot of people would dismiss that. But for me, it's one of the reasons I love her so dearly is because there's always that warmth that I feel in, in the presence. And so I think expanding our idea of creativity, I mean, for you, it clearly comes out in that sexual energy. I know that that is part of that attraction 
that I, I felt to you from the very beginning, mm. because it's not necessarily a sexual attraction, but that sensuality that comes out of you exactly. is attractive. Yes. It draws you in. It draws you to somebody. Even when people, you know, play with their hair or touch their hair in a certain way and you have to look at them, there is those attractive qualities that I think come into creativity, come mm. into self-expression, come into the way that we can be and show ourselves more fully in the world. Mm. So explain that little bit of the process of you, I guess, <laughs> being that vinyl couch <laughs> who had the tight covering cracked open and allowing a bit more of that out into the world. How have you felt in doing it how have you maintained again that safety going more into the public sphere speaking on sbs mamma mia some of those really well-known platforms here in australia explain a little bit of that process as in how i stay safe or how i <clears throat> maintain my sexuality or how you were okay with both of those things oh, okay. maintaining your sexuality showing it to the world I guess, because they're our insides. Usually we keep those inside. And I guess this is the beauty of what you do is bringing those insides more to the outside and allowing it to become less taboo, less judged, more accepted, more acceptable, more talked about. Well, that's a great question and something I've been examining with myself for some time now and I realise when I went on my journey 17 years ago, I did it all on my own and you know, I had no one to look up to, no one to talk to about it other than my beautiful Bogan. But I've always had this burning passion and willingness to talk openly with others about my story and to be a guide and, and I wanted to be a mentor. And this was another reason why I started the business. I thought I could do this. And I was scared about putting myself out there publicly. You know, you hear all these horrible stories about trolls out there mm. and I don't want to, like, engage or encourage anyone but touch wood. So far, so good. I don't care what okay. people think about the size of my ass or my double chin. Um, I've got hair on my chin and a moustache and sideburns. I don't fucking care what people have to say about that. So I guess... Ultimately, is this desire just I want to share my experiences so that you don't have to go through the shit that I went through and that your experience is easier and that you travel better through your life and finding your sexual power. Because for women, oh, my God, for women, there is so much power for us to have if we own our sexuality, we learn how to communicate, there's strength there. It, my sexual energy tops up my resilience. And I just want to clarify something. Somebody said to me once, oh, I suppose you have lots of sex. Uh, no, I don't, actually. I don't have lots of sex. I have bloody good sex. And there's a difference. Sometimes it's once a week. Sometimes it's once a fortnight. Sometimes it's once a month. But it's bloody good sex. And, yes, there are maintenance shags which is fine. We love each other. There's times like Sunday we spent in bed nearly all day. It wasn't all about sex. We just couldn't be bothered getting out of bed. Yeah, I love it. But we, had, we ended up making love and we haven't mm. made love for a while. 
where it was nice and slow and just really lots of eye gazing and and talking and reminiscing back to when we first got together that's part of the secret of maintaining bloody good sex it's to reconnect to those early days when you were at it like rabbits and into each other so much you know that's all that chemical lab that's in our head and you can re-engage and refire those chemicals when you both sit down and spend time with each other revisiting your courtship I think that's really, really important. And I love it when we have those those moments as well. An interesting thing that you've mentioned, and even if you haven't explicitly said it, I've, I've certainly picked it up. In kinesiology, we often look at, when we're looking at the behavioural barometer, choice versus no choice. Mm. And what I hear you say when you talk about maintenance sex now in your current relationship is it's a choice. And that's where I feel as well. When I choose, I've often said, you know what, hun, it's been a while. Let's take care of you. Let's get it on. And and you just look after you. Mm. I'm good. I'm asking for this. Mm. You know, let's make sure you're okay and we can take care of me next time. It's absolutely mm. fine. But it's a choice. Whereas previously maintenance was an obligation, an expectation, a chore quite frankly and there was no intimacy whereas even in maintenance now I can find that intimacy which I think is really beautiful so I I just really really wanted to reiterate that difference between being in full choice versus feeling like there is no choice and I think that is something that we really really need to embrace we are coming to the end of our time I do have a couple more questions what is your understanding of spirituality and how have you accessed that through the work you do and also how do you bring it into the work that you do well my previous me would have answered this question that spirituality is religion okay when I was 13 I lost my faith because I got to high school And year eight, I remember learning about evolution and I was so angry that no one had ever talked to me about evolution because to me that made more sense. So um, I spent a lot of my life without a sense of spirituality and it wouldn't have been until I was in my 30s at the beginning of my awakening where I started to get a sense of there's energy in the universe Uh, I would always feel comfortable in nature and crave nature whether it was rainforest or the beach like water is very I'm a fire sign I'm a Leo so I guess water is my opposite not that I'm very knowledgeable around those things but I always felt there was I'd get a gut feeling I would just know something was going to happen either a premonition or I would just feel things will work out okay but I started to read and like there's a saying I think some American guy said this is two things in life that will change you the people you meet and the books you read okay Mm. and I met someone who gave me a book to read and I can't remember the name of the author but it was about grace or coincidence Mm. and to me that was life-changing And it was all about putting your wishes out to the universe. 
okay and putting my faith in that which has worked for me every time I just know like if money's tight that's okay there's something coming and something does arrive and it might be I remember being very broke a few years back and all of a sudden $400 appeared in my account like oh okay where's this from I don't know where it's from rang the bank and it turned out to be my ex-husband had put in his tax return after eight years of not doing it and it was child support that he had oh, wow. thing. <laughs> so, so thank you just this timing has always been an element I guess in the business but I try to approach things in an ethical way because that to me that's part of spirituality with integrity as well and the conversations I've had with people I'd have to say every time it's been a moment where that person has discovered me by chance, if that makes sense, either they accidentally came across my podcast or accidentally someone else talked to them about me or they were at an event where I was a speaker, things like that. So there's that synchronicity mm. comes in and I'm a great believer in that. Like I, I don't go out advertising about me there's word of mouth coming through so the sense of spirituality for me is part of respect for others and also not forcing myself on on others they're respecting someone's viewpoint i'm not quite sure if i've answered that each to their own is something i, I like to to hold when i talk to people and my spirituality now is you know very much I need nature on a regular basis and and to think about my family and uh, just stay grounded. I think that's a beautiful way to answer it. For me, it very much ties together that collective conscious idea along with other people's unique expression. I'm not, you know, I'm not going to judge your unique expression. You be you, you do you. Mm. I think that's amazing. And I, I love the way you put that. Finally, what does being a divine messy human mean to you? Oh, gosh. Well, messy hair for a start. No, no, no. Just that we're not clinical, that we're organic, life changes, rolling with the punches and like being flexible. Like I've really learned like living with anxiety and depression is a strength for me. It, it's not something I look at as being a liability. So it gives me power because I'm in touch with my thoughts and my feelings and I'm also committed to engage with the people around me in a positive way. Like, for instance, if I know I'm in a bad mood, I'm just not going to spray everyone with my bad mood. I usually say to my partner, look, I don't know what it is, but I've got the shits today. I'll just stay over here or just, just ignore me. Oh, actually, here's a funny moment. To me, this, is, this would have been a different person 20 years ago. I was out, I was at the petrol station and I'd lost the card and I'm trying to ring and ring and ring. Thankfully, I hadn't pumped the fuel, but I was nearly empty and he wasn't picking up. I'm like, are you fucking at home? You're working. Fucking pick up. I thought, oh God, don't tell me he's bloody either in bed asleep because he hasn't been feeling well lately or he's crashed out on the floor. And I got home and here he is working. And he's got one of those digital watches where the call comes up and I'm like, 
what are you what have you been doing he goes what do you mean I said I've been trying to ring you just see how many missed calls and uh, like I was quite like I was pissed off <laughs> just thank god I hadn't pumped the fuel <laughs> and um anyway his reaction was he, he didn't flare up he's like my phone was on silent as if no big deal and uh anyway we got over it and I just laughed so there you go you felt my frustration that's it and then we just walked away and that's it there's no carryover mm. no sulking you know it's like all right moment's over but 20 years ago I would have carried that pissed off feeling all day possibly into the next so letting it go as well, it's just not important. Yeah. I think, you know, people just need to prioritise what's important mm. and, um, you know, how, how those little moments of frustration, just let them go. It's just they have no value mm. in our lives at all. So focusing on love and respect and good times mm. is, is my mission now. I love it. That's just awesome. So tell people how they can get in touch with you. Sure. Well, if you're looking at the screen, you'll see my website is thespicyboudoir.com. You'll find me on Instagram as thespicyboudoir or also Susan underscore the Maven. Follow me on the Maven's private diaries on Spotify and listen to our incredible chat. Amanda, so very much out there and would welcome anyone to connect, even if you've got a question, happy to chat. I do 15-minute consults for free with people. And if you've never bought a vibrator, I've never owned one, and you're not sure, I've got a fantastic blog on my website to help you decide what, what type of product will work for you. It's all about your orgasmic fantasy. Oh, fantastic. Oh, thank you so, so much, darling. I am just so grateful for this. It as well, it will be outside my comfort zone publishing this because I haven't done much in terms of talking about sex and sexuality and sensuality. And yet it is such an important part of our healing, of our development, of our spirituality, of our humanity. So thank you so, so much. I'm just grateful as and keep shining your likes we need you in the world thank so you thank we need you. you too amanda i think we should do this again maybe live uh, with a live question and answer to both of us yeah that would be amazing let's yep. key that in thank <laughs> you so much my love cheers thank you for listening to today's episode of divine messy human i am always learning new ways of being unlearning my old conditioning and repatterning my beliefs to serve myself and others to the highest degree possible. The opinions and beliefs expressed in this podcast are mine and all my guests from personal and learned experience. Please use your own discernment and take what resonates leaving the rest. I am constantly evolving and ready to implement new ideas. Harm is never intended. If you loved this podcast, please share, rate and review every little bit helps. And if there's a topic you'd like me to cover, please reach out through email or messenger, sending you love, healing and blessings.